You're listening to the New Hope Church Podcast. To learn more about what we're doing on the south side of Indianapolis, you can check us out online at becomehope.com. If you like what you're hearing here, be sure you check out one of our companion podcasts. We have a daily devotional podcast called Let's Find Out Together, as well as an apologetics podcast called Salty Saints. Let's listen in. Today's talk comes from Zach Killian. Today we're talking about Joel. Uh, We've been in this series called Restored. We're talking about different prophets. Last time, uh, the last prophet we talked about was Hosea. And uh, and so today we're getting into Joel. And I just want to be straight up with you. Um, There's a lot of ground to cover. Like it's a lot. And that sounds silly because it's three chapters. Um, But it's incredibly theologically rich. So if you're not familiar with the book of Joel, um, you should dive in. You really should on your free time because there's no way we're going to be able to cover everything that could be gleaned from reading this. Um, so definitely check that out. But let's get, uh, let's get right into it. We're going into Joel 1, 2 through 4. It says, hear this, you elders. Listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. Goes on to say, put on sackcloth, you priests, and mourn. Wail, you who minister before the altar. Come, spend the night in sackcloth, you who minister before my God. For the grain offerings and drink offerings are withheld from the house of your God. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Alas for that day, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. Joel is a prophet. Joel is a prophet just like every other prophet. Um, The funny thing about the prophets is it's the same story over and over and over again, right? Every time I go open a book of the prophet, it doesn't matter if I really remember the subject matter. I can tell you the gist of the book because somebody sinned, God's mad, something bad is either happening or happening, or going to happen, I'm sorry, and God sends his prophet to tell the people to turn back to him. And Joel's no different. So what's happening in Joel? What's different in Joel? There's a national disaster. There's a locust swarm. The locusts have come. They've eaten all the crops. The crops are gone. That means that the animals are starving. And if the animals are starving, the people are starving. And so Joel is looking around and he's like, hey guys, This is bad. We need to wake up. We need to quit doing what we're doing. And we need to come back to God. That's what needs to happen. He says you need to lament. And you need to repent. Because the day of the Lord is near. The day of the Lord. That's the big idea in in, uh, Joel. I'm sorry. The idea is that there's this, this big scary 
day coming. And it's kind of a vague concept because the language he uses to describe it sort of jumps around. Like there's parts when Joel's talking about the day of the Lord where you're like, wait, are you talking about now? Are you talking about like the locust now? Like what are you, is this a future event? Like what's happening? And so I think we need to read it. We need to go to Joel 2, 1 through 11. He says, blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It's close at hand, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. Like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes, such as never was in ancient times, nor ever will be in ages to come. Before them, fire devours. Behind them, a flame blazes. Before them, the land is like the Garden of Eden, but behind them, it's a desert waste. Nothing escapes them. They have the appearance of horses. They gallop along like cavalry. With a noise like that of chariots, they leap over the mountaintops like a crackling fire consuming stubble, like a mighty army drawn up for battle. At the sight of them, nations are in anguish. Every face turns pale. They charge like warriors. They scale walls like soldiers. They all march in line, not swerving from their course. They do not jostle each other. Each marches straight ahead. They plunge through defenses without breaking ranks. They rush upon the city. They run along the wall. They climb into houses like thieves. They enter through the windows. Before them the earth shakes and the heavens tremble. The sun and the moon are darkened and the stars no longer shine. The Lord thunders at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number and mighty is the army that obeys his command. The day of the Lord is great and it is dreadful. Who can endure it? Don't know about you guys, but I've never seen a locust like that. I see like these weird, creepy little crawly guys that I don't like near me, but I definitely don't see like a giant horse monster that sounds like a chariot of an army thundering in the distance and coming at me and it's the land before them is burning and you've got God at the front of this army of monster locusts and he's leading the army? Like what are you talking about, Joel? What is this? Because like there's parts of what you're saying that like it sounds kind of like what's happening in Israel right now, right? We got this locust thing going on and I feel like you're talking about locusts, but why are you describing them like that? Are you talking about a locust plague now? Are you talking about a locust plague that's going to come in the future and it's going to be a really bad one and this is all just kind of, you know, figurative language to help me understand what that's going to be like? Or are you talking about like an angel army, like God's army coming? And I think the answer is yes. And he's talking about all of those things. He's talking about it in a way that, that we can see that there's, there's more to it than just what's right in front of us. There's something bigger going on here. And so I want to point you, do I have any uh, Revelation buffs in the room? Anybody that really likes studying Revelation? Yeah. So there, there's something that you need to notice about this is a lot of this language that Joel is using is language from Revelation. Or I guess the more accurate way of saying it is a lot of the language that you read in Revelation is borrowing from Joel. Joel's talking about something that apparently has a connection with Revelation. Okay. But why locusts? 
You know, I know, I remember that, that, yeah, there's these big, like, monster locusts in Revelation, but why locusts? Why is, why is this locust? Why does this keep popping up? I think we got to go back all the way to Exodus. We go back to the story of Israel in Egypt, right? Moses is sent by God to Egypt because Pharaoh has enslaved the people of Israel, okay? And so Moses goes and he tells Pharaoh, you need to let these people go. These are God's people. He sent me to tell you that if you don't let them go, he is going to rain plagues down on you. And so you need to obey him. And Pharaoh kind of looks at Moses and shoes him away. He's like, eh, whatever, get out of here. And so what happens? God sends plagues on, on Israel, or sorry, on Egypt. And what's one of those plagues? Locusts. Locusts. God sends locusts to judge Egypt. To judge Pharaoh. So then we go on to like Deuteronomy 28, right? At this point in the story, this is after Exodus, Israel's kind of been indoctrinated in as God's people at this point. Like God has given them the law, right? He's starting to lay out his foundation of what it looks like to follow him. And so he says, look, I, I, I want to take care of you. I know what's best for you. I need you to listen to me, all right? If you obey me, if you just listen to what I say, follow my commandments, nothing bad's going to happen to you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to keep the sword out of your land. Your enemies are going to flee from you when you walk before them. But I also need you to understand that if you ever cross me, if you ever turn away from me, if you ever stop obeying me and you fall back into those old ways, into that sin, then my judgment is going to come down on you and it's going to come down on you hard. And one of the things he mentions is that he's going to send locusts. Why locusts? Why do they keep popping up everywhere? It's because it's this universal biblical sign of God's judgment, right? See, what's happening is Joel is looking at Israel and he's saying, hey, uh, guys, I, I just thought, you know, maybe... Maybe we should pay attention to the fact that there's all these locusts because up until this point, uh, that's never been good, right? Maybe something's wrong. Maybe God is judging us and maybe we need to change things. I said, Joel's just like all the other prophets, right? He's not saying anything new. We recognize that. But it actually goes a step further. He's not saying anything new. He's actually borrowing phrases. He's quoting the other prophets that have come before him, right? Because what's happening is like we said, there's this, there's this like cycle, right? Something's happening. It's happening over and over and over again. The reason that the prophets keep saying the same message, this redundant message, this message of repent and believe and turn back to the Lord, turn away from your sin, like it keeps happening over and over and over again. But the reason is because man falls away from God and then God comes to man in his mercy and his judgment and he brings man back to him. And then man falls away from God and God goes after man and he brings him back in and man falls away from God. You see what I'm, this is going in a cycle, right? It's a cycle. And so the funny thing is, Joel is just like all the other prophets. He's quoting all the other prophets, but he knows he's doing it. He's fully aware of the fact that he's not saying anything new. 
So much so that he doesn't even say what Israel's sin is. Joel doesn't ever mention what Israel's sin is. And that's incredibly strange for a prophet. The prophets always declare what the sin of the land is. We read certain prophets and it's like, oh, you have unjust scales. Or, you know, you're, you're treating people as slaves. Or, you know, there's murder running rampant. Rape. Whatever. There's always a sin name that Israel is guilty of. And Joel doesn't even care to mention it. Because Joel sees beyond this. Joel sees this isn't an issue of, of a current thing. Like, yeah, it is, but it's deeper than that. Joel sees that the problem is the heart of man. Joel is writing a timeless piece of literature. He's writing something that reflects on the past and it speaks to the present and it speaks well into the future. And I can't help but think Joel is writing this in a way that he knows some thousands of years later when people like you and me pick this up and might read it, that it's still gonna be the same issue. Man falls away from God. God calls out to man in mercy and judgment. Man is restored. Man falls away from God. We see it in ourselves. We read the book, we see it, and he meant for that. What does Joel say we need to do though? You need to lament and you need to repent. Sorry, lament and repent. There's lots of rhymey words here. Uh, and so what does that look like? What's that mean to lament? What's that mean to repent? Well, he, he tells us, we go to Joel 2, 12 through 17. It says, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he's gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing. Grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the assembly. Bring together the elders. Gather the children. Those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the portico and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, Lord. Don't make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should people, why should they say among the people, where is their God? Joel's saying, gather everybody. Get them all. Get, bring them together. We're all coming together. We're going to weep. We're going to mourn. We're going to fast. We're going to lament. We're going to repent. And we're going to cry out to God in prayer to spare us. Because we've got to change Rend your hearts and not your garments. What's that mean? That one kind of tripped me up, but it also caught my eye the first time I read it. To rend something means to twist it, to tear at it, to, to torque it, to just squeeze it or break it, you know? Like, to rend your garment though like why is that so significant in Hebrew culture and near eastern culture in general um, when you wanted to express outwardly 
how distraught you were, how upset you were, how broken you were on the inside, you would tear your clothes. You would rip them or you'd twist them, you'd, you know? And like you think to uh, when Jesus is called before the Pharisees and they say, are you the Messiah? And he says, I am. And the Pharisee rips his clothes. He's trying to show how upset he is. He's trying to show how, how just deeply moved he is by the fact that this man has just said this, right? And God's looking at Israel and he's saying, you know, you, you rend your clothes, but rend your heart. Twist it. Tear it. I need you to take that thing and I need you to wring every last ounce of sin out of it because I need you clean. I need you to take it and I need you to make yourself different. Get rid of that bad in you. He wants us to rend our hearts, not just to make some kind of outward display of repentance, some outward display of change. I don't know if you're anything like me, but like old sins, they're always popping up. They're always back. Newsflash, you all sin. <laughs> you probably knew that already. But I see these things pop up and I'm like, where'd that come from? That was gone. Why is it back? And I know I say this all the time. We talk about this all the time. We talk about the need to get rid of our sins, but that's what it means to be a Christian. And so we're probably gonna keep preaching this message till we're blue in the face because that's what we gotta do, right? But the thing is, I'll take that sin and I'll go and I'll, I'll be like, well, I'm just gonna read a self-help book. I'm gonna go find a book about that sin and I'm gonna figure out how to get by this. Maybe I'm gonna go you know, watch, watch some YouTube video and somebody's just gonna speak, speak the right words to me and it's all gonna click. Uh, maybe I'll just go get some friends and I'll talk to them about it and I'll, I'll just get that off my chest and then we can put this aside. And so with all those things I do, I, it's like I'm grabbing my heart and I'm twisting and I'm twisting and I'm pulling and I'm ripping at it and I'm tearing at it and I feel like that last ounce of sin has dropped out and then when I look down at my hands, I'm just holding my shirt. Because all those things I'm doing are superficial. They're not getting at the problem. The problem runs deeper than that. It's not something I can do on the outside to fix the inside. Something else has to change. But I can't do it. Nothing I do can fix it. So what do I do? David Bowden is an author. He's a poet. And... Uh, He's with this uh, movement called the, the Spoken Gospel. He's got a pretty cool podcast. You should check it out. Uh, but he wrote this book. I've been reading it lately. It's called Rewire Your Heart. Replace Your Desire for Sin with Desire for God. And uh, in it, he writes that he had written a book previously. This is, I think, his second book. And he's talking about how he was at Target and he was just doing some shopping. And... Uh, he just kind of got this, you know, little tickle, little urge. He's like, I'm going to go by the book section and just see, you know, who's, who's on the like trending top 10 in the Christian authors. And so he walks by and he's looking at the shelf and he's looking and he's looking and he doesn't see his book anywhere. But then he sees one of his friend's books, a peer of his. And he said, and I stood there and I thought, well, my book should be up there. His book shouldn't be up there. Like my book, my book's better than his book. I've read his book. It's not that deep. It's not that good. 
You know, in fact, the reason my book's not up there is because people probably aren't smart enough to fully comprehend my book. My book is so deep and so theologically accurate that when most people read it, it's probably not mainstream enough to click with them, right? So, so that, that's the issue. It's other people. It's not my book. And so he leaves Target and he's upset and he goes and he gets in his car and he starts his car and he sits there and he just starts crying because he recognizes what's happening. Because this isn't a new sin for David. This is the same sin that David's been dealing with for years. And he looks at it and he says, I, I thought I fixed this. I put this away years ago. This was gone. I go to classes. I meet with friends. I, I talk about the fact that I know, you know, I know that I need to humble myself and I just don't need to worry about that kind of thing and I don't have anything to prove and all that. And he's, he's like, it was better. It was gone. But why is it back? And David said, he quickly realized that the issue was much deeper than he thought. He comes to the conclusion in the book that we only ever do what we want to do. We only do what we want to do. All of us. That's why we sin. Because we want to sin. We have an affection towards sin. And that's the way he phrases it. He says, we only ever follow our deepest affections. The problem is that we can't do anything about our affections. You know, you may be sitting there thinking, well, wait, no, I don't always do what I, I, I want to do. I do lots of things I don't want to do. You know, I, I, uh, I work out, I hate working out. Or, you know, I, I eat healthy, I hate eating healthy. I want to eat junk food, right? Well, well, let me say this. If somebody walks up to you and says, uh, hey, give me your money, here you go, no. But if they walk up to you and they put a gun to your head and they say, hey, give me your money, you're going to hand your wallet to them. Not because you want to give them your money, but because your deepest affection in that moment is to live. And so even though giving them your wallet is not something you want to do, it gets the end result of living, and that is an affection of yours, right? David was doing all these things. He was doing all this superficial stuff on the outside, but it wasn't fixing the man on the inside. It wasn't fixing the heart. He likens it to walking up to a fruit tree, walking up to an apple tree. He says, you walk up and you start picking fruit off the tree. And eventually, you've gotten all the apples off of the apple tree. And then you look at it and go, and now you're a fig tree. But it's not a fig tree. Because all you did was pick at the fruit. Something has to happen in here. Something has to change us. The problem is, nothing we can do can change us. We are busted up, broken toys, and we need somebody to fix us. And so what David comes to the, to the uh, conclusion of is that only the gospel of Jesus Christ can change the heart of a person. God wants your affections. That's what these prophets have been screaming about all this time. If you think back to Hosea, it was the same thing. He says, you're going to, the, you're, you're making all the sacrifices. You're doing all the things. That's cool. Now he's saying, you're rending your garments. That's fine. But that's not what I want. I want you. I want your heart. Give it to me. 
And the only way we can do that is by opening ourselves up to Jesus Christ and saying, I can't do it. Nothing in me can do it. And every time I think I've got it, I don't. But I need you to do it. We've got to open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit. We've got to meet him in his word and come to know who he is, to know him, to know him personally. That's what he wants. What I'm saying is, let the gospel change you. Let it change you. You don't have to do anything. You just have to let it in and let it soak and let it permeate throughout your spirit. And guys, here's the thing. Understand, to be Jesus in, the, in, in every corner of culture, we have to let the gospel change us, right? But at the same time, that doesn't mean sin goes away. That doesn't mean the cycle breaks. Joel's talking about this cycle. He sees that cycle, that rise and fall of man, rise and fall of man. And it's not just going to go away when you believe it's not just going to go away when you come to Christ, but what is going to happen is if you truly let him in, if you truly come to the gospel over and over again, if you truly keep coming back to Jesus, it's going to get a little better. You're not going to be flatlining. You're not going to be going down. You're going to be going up a little. Maybe you'll taper off. Maybe you'll come down a couple steps, but then you're going to go back up. It's, it's this idea that we're, we're slowly progressing we're slowly being made into the image of Christ. And the only way to do that is to let Jesus do what Jesus does. He's done all the work. It's off you. Just let it happen. Thanks for tuning in to the New Hope Church podcast. If you would do us a favor and like or subscribe on your favorite platform, we would really appreciate it. Also, if you happen to have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at questions at becomehope.com. Have a great week and know that we are praying for you as you seek to be Jesus in every corner of your world.